I got it. Shoeless Joe Hardy. Is that what you're going to call him? Shoeless Joe from Hannibal Mo. Shoeless Joe from Hannibal Mo. A little hoedown in honor of our new star. Shoeless Joe from Hannibal Mo. What'd you say his name was? Shoeless Joe from Hannibal Mo. He's gonna call him Shoeless Joe. Gee, Miss Thorpe, you sure get some wonderful ideas. Oh, I got lots of ideas. Who came along in a puff of smoke? Shoeless Joe from Hannibal Mo. Strong as the heart of the mighty O. Shoeless Joe from Hannibal Mo. Lucky a week to be having him. Shoeless Joe from Hannibal Mo. Just when the future was looking grim. Shoeless Joe from Hannibal Mo came a long, long way to be with us today. With arms of steel like Hercules. Feet as fleet as Mercury's. He'll fight for us, do right for us. He'll be a beacon light for us. He's Shoeless Joe from Hannibal Mo. Go, go, go. Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, April 10th, 2022. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, The Book of Broadway Musical Debates, Disputes, and Disagreements, will be released September 1st, 2022, and can now be pre-ordered on Amazon. I got a quick look at the blue lines, Peter. Oh. It's looking, looking good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. So aside from all your other uh, reviewing blue lines and doing all the other things that come with the closing of the uh, Broadway 2022 season, <laughs> uh-huh. you also have an 85-minute version of The Merchant of Venice that's going to be performed on Shakespeare's birthday, which is April 23rd, at the Shakespeare Troupe of Florida in Boca Raton. Uh-huh. And uh, you're going down for that, right? Yep. Excellent. Peter, I just scheduled I'm going to see um, The Merchant of Venice in D.C., Next oh, week, the, uh, not outside the week after. Yeah. With John Douglas Thompson at Shakespeare Theater. Did you uh, see it at um, Theater for a New Audience? No, I actually didn't. And I, I uh-huh. think I sort of wasn't really aware or forgot that it was there. Uh-huh. That would have been much easier. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, that's like you could fall out your window. and Well, I don't know if you'd see not it. Not quite, then, yeah. But you're on too high of a floor, you know. <laughs> also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello, and I want to say, uh, before I forget, happy birthday, happy 94th birthday to Marilyn May. Uh, Today is is her 94th birthday. And uh, she is in residence uh, uh, at Feinstein's 54 Below, through Saturday, through the Saturday, the 16th. She was there last week and uh, she's there this week again. So if you can get there and if you can get a ticket, uh, I'm told it's sold out, but sometimes there's straight little tickets, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, she really just is a, a force of nature. And I'm so looking forward to seeing her again. On, I'm going on Wednesday, I believe. Oh, that's great. And you have your concert coming up at Feinstein 54 Below, the, the boys from Syracuse in concert featuring John and Matthew Drinkwater and Jay Abra Jones and yes, more. Leah Horowitz and lo- lovely people like that. That's not till, well, it's a little bit. Uh, June 16th, uh, right? Yeah, June, June 16th. Yes, I mean, that's, that's not right. that far. No, it's no. not that far. And, and, and the really, way time flies. <laughs> time I really love, I re- I love the fact that we were, you know, basically fully rehearsed when we had to cancel due to covid so now uh you know there's not a scramble now we just kind of have to brush up mm-hmm. and uh so i i love that i've never done a show under those circumstances before um but i'm really looking forward to it. i think it's going to be really really fun that's such a great score mm. so um the as i mentioned the 2022 season is coming to an end here uh the openings that we had last week were paradise square take me out uh, Beetlejuice just uh, uh, reemerged. I don't know if it was official opening, but I'll call it an opening. Uh, and now we have uh, birthday candles at the American Airlines Theater that's going to open up this evening. Uh, the Little Prince American uh, is on the 11th. American Buffalo is on the 14th. Mrs. Doubtfire is also on the 14th. And I think that I'm not sure if that's just a, a reopening. Uh, did it actually open before? I don't recall. 
Oh yeah, you mean in God Doubtfire? Review? Yeah, sure, sure. I don't recall that. So, uh-huh. Doubtfire is coming back after the hiatus, and uh, also the minutes on April seventeenth. So, mm-hmm. uh, we will be very busy coming to you uh, mm-hmm. with all these reviews coming up soon. So, Peter, Michael, and I got over to the Hayes Theater. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I get chastised for calling it the other thing, which is the Helen Hayes, which right. I shall always call it the Helen Hayes. Well, uh, except, uh, you know, some people say that that's still the official title, and they don't just on, uh, IBDB, IBDB calls it the Hayes. They, they mm-hmm. have a transition from the Helen Hayes to the Hayes after Second Stage bought it. Anyway... We want to talk about what's inside the theater because uh, a production, a revival of Take Me Out is happening there, and Peter, Michael, and I got to see it. So, Peter, why don't you get us started on this play? Well, um, let me point out first and foremost that um, my girlfriend, Linda, um, knows nothing about baseball. Exhibit A, uh, when we first met and she said she knew nothing about baseball, I said, "Oh, oh, well, let's go to a game and I'll teach you all about it. So the first uh, batter flied out to left field. The second batter flied out to center field. And she turned to me and said, so I guess it's two to nothing now, right? Now, that (laughs) is not knowing baseball. All right. So um, and it was so wonderful to hear her gurgle with pleasure um, in hearing the lines of Richard Greenberg's terrific play, which is such a wonderful uh, premise and uh, a wonderful title for um, the play as well, because it is about a gay superstar ball player. And um, he's black, he's gay, and he's incredibly um, literate and funny and incisive. And he takes um, no uh, feces from anyone. And <laughs> um, and uh, as a result, um, things come to a head when a real redneck, um, ignorant ball player comes to join the team and who's very good. Uh, very a superstar in his own right, too, or at least a superstar in the making. So these two are going to lock horns and uh, and there's going to be a lot of trouble ahead. So um, it was a wonderful play way back when it was a wonderful play. Um, the Tonys certainly acknowledged it as a wonderful play. And um, suddenly it's 20 years ago. It doesn't seem it to me, but um, do the math and you will find out that it opened in the fall of 2022. So close enough. And um, it was a terrific production way back then. Uh, Daniel Sanjata, who, by the way, was so wonderful as this steely, smart, uh, arrogant uh, guy. And I'll never forget when we gave him a Theater World Award, he seems so meek and mild. I mean, it's just amazing to me how um, he really is not at all the type of person that he played on stage, which is really uh, wonderful acting. Well, anyway, it was a terrific production. Dennis O'Hare, uh, uh, wonderful. Um, the rest of them, terrific, too. This production, I really feel, is its equal, if not better. It may very well be better, um, but it, it really is quite wonderful. And one of the reasons um, has to do with the casting, uh, of course, and um, we're very, 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 very impressed by so many of the people who are in it. Um, and, uh, you know, Dennis O'Hare's part, which is a guy who knows nothing about baseball when he starts out, um, but because he's um, a, a, a numbers cruncher and, of course, ball players they need numbers, number crunches because they make so much of it. So, um, so he becomes involved every now and then um, getting a little, little bit more interest in baseball as time goes on and then becomes really a rabid fan of it, which by the way, is really Richard Greenberg's story. I remember at the Tony um, press room when he came in um, and to um, talk to us, I said, if you could go back in time, what would you see now that you're a baseball fan? And he said, Oh, the famous thing about Babe Ruth uh, pointing to the stands and uh, saying, I'm going to hit a pitch, whether or not a lot of people say that isn't really quite what happened. But anyway, so so Jesse Tyler Ferguson playing the Dennis O'Hare role, Mason Marzak, um, is just magnificent <laughs> in being this guy who <laughs> comes uh, who, who's, who's in awe of this player, of course, and uh, and being a gay man, of course, um, is very interested in a gay ball player, um, both platonically and perhaps more than that. <clears throat> but uh, he really uh, becomes under his spell in the best sense of the word, not in the worst sense of the word, but in the best sense of the word. And he, he does maintain his dignity, even though he's uh, very flamboyant and buoyant. Um, so really a wonderful performance. Okay, fine. So we have that. But uh, what about the guy playing the um, 
the uh, Daniel Sanjata role. Uh, Darren Lemming is his name. Uh, Jesse Williams, um, Broadway debut, terrific Broadway debut. Of course, he has a big career um, in uh, film and TV, but we're very lucky to have him. Um, I'm surprised that Richard Greenberg took the name Lemming um, as the last name, because that suggests something that this character certainly is not. Mm. And um, but anyway, uh there are a lot of great issues in this play. You know, once that the ball players find out that this guy has come out, um, uh, is there going to be strife in the locker room? And uh, yes, we do see scenes in the locker room. And as a result, as you may have already heard, uh, your cell phones are going to be, are going to be semi-appropriated. They're going to ask you to take out your cell phone and put it in a pouch, and they're going to lock the pouch. And at the end of the show, you better remember to turn it <laughs> because you're not going to get that phone out of that pouch unless it's officially unlocked by some sort of electronic magic. So, um, so yes, there is nudity in the play as well, and it's not gratuitous because this is an issue. You know, I mean, you hear this all the time that um, once somebody uh, in, in high schools and colleges, you know. Um, do straight men want a gay guy looking at them lustfully? This is something that people fear. It's irrational, I think, but nevertheless, this is something that people really fear. So, um, so I think of all the, the properties that we've had that involve nudity, and there is the question, is it gratuitous? Do they need it? So on and so forth, starting with hair way back when. You know, I, this, I think this is one that really uh, justifies what's going on here because it does deal with a real issue. So, um, <clears throat> so it's really a very effective play. And even though um, the redneck, um, wonderful play by Michael Oberholzer, his name is Shane Mungit, um, even though he, he seems to be surly and silent, oh, well, at the end of the first act, he certainly isn't surly and silent, you know, so, um, whoa. Um, we also have to give um, a great deal of credit to uh, Patrick J. Adams, also making a Broadway debut, playing Kippy, who's the narrator of the play and, and really warns us that the, uh, quite a story is going to unfold. And also, um, we have to give a great deal of credit to one of our Broadway favorites, Brandon J. Durnden, who plays um, essentially, essentially, um, Mr. Lemming's best friend. However, they do have a great deal of not in common when it comes to uh, homosexuality. I don't just don't mean he's that the guy is straight. What I mean is he's very religious and he feels that this is really um, a, a terrible uh, sin that's going on here. So see all these issues that are popping up here. What a great idea for a play. Great idea for a um, for for a, a title. But here's the thing. <laughs> it starts with the Star Spangled Banner. And we all sat while the Star Spangled Banner was played. And the point is, in a baseball game, you're supposed to stand when the Star Spangled Banner is played. It's all right. It's all right. Take me out. Got, a, got the standing ovation at the end of the show. And this is one where we didn't have to say, oh, everybody stands. No, this one you could really tell the people standing because they had a terrific time. All right, Michael, what did you think? Well, first of all, I didn't think I would be able to talk about the production today because I'm uh, not scheduled to go till next week. But then a friend of mine, an old friend of mine, Nick Sarando, was in town uh, yesterday. And at about two hours notice, he said, I have an extra ticket uh, for Take Me Out. Would you like to come? Because uh, Nick has worked with Scott Ellis, who's the director. And uh, so that's how that happened. And I said, yes, I'd love to, you know. Uh, even though I'm already set to go. Uh, so I did. And uh, I, I know Jesse Tyler Ferguson a bit um, uh, from, you know, for some years now. And also I, I've interviewed him once or twice. So we got to speak to both of those gentlemen afterwards. And, and that was really wonderful because I just loved this production. I, I would say, Peter, I think it is superior. Mm -hmm. to the original no i um i have um I, I when i saw the original production i although i enjoyed the play overall and really admired it i i did think there was some major flaws in it and and uh they somehow made much less difference to me 
this time. Um, I, I'm not sure if it's just that I got used to it <laughs> or maybe the direction is better or uh, I don't know. I don't think there have been any changes in the script. Um, but I, there were some things I still noticed that you, you, you probably will disagree, but I don't like the way the whole entire way that that Davy battle character fits into the plot. Uh, I mean, I think the part about him uh, turning out to have a tremendous problem with, with Darren being gay, even though they're best friends. I, I like that part, but the other stuff, uh, which I can't go into because it would mm -hmm. be a spoiler. Mm -hmm. I really, really don't like that. Uh -huh. stuff. And then, the, and then there was something in uh, that turned up late in the play. Um, Involving uh, Kippy, uh, Darren's other teammate, Kippy, uh, who uh, didn't wasn't completely honest about something, and it just seemed like a, a needless complication at the end of a, a fairly long play. Uh, so little things like that, and also uh, Peter alluded to the fact. I, I, I've always wondered why uh, Greenberg gave such odd names. <laughs> to most of these ball players, and and yes, uh, especially Darren Lemming, because I don't know what his being called Lemming is supposed to imply, if anything. Uh, he's not, as Peter said, a Lemming. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know how you could see him as a Lemming. Uh, so that's always confused me. And there are the little things, but I I do think the whole idea of the sh the play and the title and the issues that it raises, I, I think all of that is absolutely great and very gripping. Um, I think all of us who are not especially into baseball certainly, you know, are given a wonderful way into it. Uh, through the character of uh, of Mason <laughs> Marzak, so brilliantly played by Jesse in this case, and initially so brilliantly played by Dennis O'Hare. Um, I uh, and now here's another thing that that uh, <laughs> apparently uh, Peter will very much disagree based on what he just said. But I really did not like Daniel Sinjata in the in the first production. I thought he was very surfacey and one note and i don't think that that's what that character needs i i thought he fit the part so perfectly uh in physically and in terms of personality etc and that's why i i thought maybe in my mind that's why he was uh, so well received in the part but to my mind uh jesse williams is vastly superior there were uh, nuances and uh subtextual things and, and just little little uh, character uh tip-offs that that he was giving uh, vocally and with his eyes and and i thought he was absolutely fantastic i uh i'm not familiar with him from his tv work so he was basically a brand new commodity to me completely and i was so impressed that 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 someone with uh, limited uh stage experience was so so good on stage uh you know that doesn't always happen with uh tv and film actors who have limited stage experience because as we all know it's a very different different well they're very different mediums and the and the uh techniques are, are not always the same not all the same so i uh to me i i think maybe that was a, a major reason why i so much uh preferred this production to the original uh despite the the, the many pluses of the original and i uh I was a little surprised and happily surprised that I loved it so much. Um, a question, uh, I, I guess I could research it, but I didn't get a chance. Was uh, Were there two intermissions in the original? I don't remember that. There may have been, but I don't remember. Well, because it's it seems to be, is it written uh, in, in three oh, acts? Oh, I see. Yeah, I got your yeah. point. <laughs> because there's yeah. a lot of talk about three. A lot baseball. of talk about threes, yeah. yeah. And there yeah. is a, and there is a, a point, uh, again, I can't, describe it further because it's a spoiler there's a, something very dramatic that happens at a point uh you know pretty far into the play that seems to me that it would be absolutely the perfect ending for act two uh and then act three would would follow mm -hmm. that um so maybe i'll do some more research on that i uh i it, it just struck me as th that that yeah, was yeah, yeah 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 uh oh uh 
Another thing was that I, I very much enjoyed Brandon J. Durden's performance as Davy, even though uh, I have my problems with the character, as I said. But I, um, I, I thought it was interesting that he was seemed so much older. Uh, I, I looked up the name of the actor in the original production, and I don't remember if he was uh, older than the others. And that gave a whole different... Um, tone to the relationship i think between him and uh and darren uh you know more of a, a seemed like a mentor kind of thing but he almost seemed to me to be someone too old to be actually still playing baseball uh i don't know if he came across as that old to to you guys uh but um that's just something interesting i observed but i, I anyway uh th- this was i i just thought it was terrific and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it again. I you don't know, often get to see plays twice and certainly not that close together, but I'm not going to mind sitting through it again at all. I'm going to enjoy it very much. Well, I just checked um, his birthday and uh, the best um, IBDB can tell us is that he was born <clears throat> around uh, circa 1978. And yes, that would make him quite an old ball player. I'll grant you that. Uh, there are exceptions to the rules and certainly some do sure. play in their 40s. But nevertheless, your point is well taken. So uh, my two cents on Take Me Out is that uh, I thought it was wonderful. I think mm-hmm. it was uh, it was a very good good production. I didn't remember a lot from the original production, and mm-hmm. it was like all coming back to me. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I had that experience, so, too. Uh, I have to ask the two of you, in this production, the second act sort of dragged for me. Um, and I don't remember that from the original production, but I was thinking some al- along the lines of what Michael was saying about some of these – uh, things that were thrown in that, uh, you know, especially the, the Japanese character that mm, did that uh, whole monologue. Uh-huh. I was like, it's it just sort of... Oh, I liked hearing what was on his mind. I No, <laughs> I liked hearing what was on his mind, but it was like, it was like he was in no man's land. He was either, he was too small of a character or not enough of him. You know? Well, I, I guess this must be an issue with uh, the Japanese players uh, who come over who sure. uh, can't speak English, and um, you know, they they so uh, that that rang true to me. Um, well, I guess it's supposed to be that you know that he's an outsider in another way, but I I, I think generally that maybe um, maybe Greenberg tried to do a little too much. Yeah, that's play. what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. And Peter, I, mm-hmm. I found so many parallels uh, between the Yankees and, oh, sure. and, the, uh, and Derek Jeter and Jesse oh, Williams. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. My goodness, if this was not a role written for him that mm-hmm. nobody knew Jesse Williams uh, back in 2000 when the yeah, original sure. play was written. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's really a, 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 such an incredible casting coup to get Jesse Williams to do this. And, you bet. And, and Peter, if uh, I may indulge, if yeah. Jesse Williams were perhaps to be a Theater World Award winner, I think my wife would finally come to the ceremony. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, uh, and I uh, hope I'm the reason that she has been staying away. You know, but that's yeah. It, 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 we should mention that the name of the team is the Empires, and they're certainly supposed to be the Yankees. And more to the point, there is the famous Yankee Stadium facade. Oh, yeah, um, the facade. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, um, mm. it, it looks like the top of the stadium. Um, in, in the projections that are in the back. So so uh, nobody's being fooled that we're not talking about the Yankees, and especially, of course, because the Yankees have been the most successful team in the history of baseball. So we'll see what happens this year. But nevertheless, the facts uh, remain that um, they've won probably about three times as many uh, world championships as the next best team, uh, the mm-hmm. St. Louis Cardinals, which, you know, so really it's almost like three to one, I think. When yeah. I was speaking with Jesse Tyler Ferguson after the play, I said something like, you know, Jesse, when I first heard that you had been cast in this role about three years ago, <laughs> mm, yeah, um, right. yeah. I, I said to myself, what a what a wonderful role that will be for him. And it certainly turned out to be. But also uh, worth mentioning that I think it was in a, a workshop uh, of this production, uh, obviously some time ago, that initially uh, Darren was going to be played by Jussie Smollett. 
Oh, and yeah, yeah, look what right. happened! Yeah. Look what happened yeah. with yeah. that. So yeah. that would have been yeah. Um, may I also say that I was once stuck in an elevator with Jesse Tyler Ferguson and a whole bunch of other people, mm-hmm. and he was easily the most famous uh, person in the group, and he <laughs> really entertained us and made us feel good, and um, and until we got rescued. So uh, a, a very nice guy under those circumstances as well. <laughs> that wasn't the famous Adam Feldman elevator stuck at the pu- at the public, was it? Nope. No, no. <laughs> the there's Marquee. a great <laughs> this is a great story about uh, Adam Feldman getting stuck in the elevator with Oscar Euskis and a handful of other people as wow. well. Uh, and as <laughs> very funny story. Wow. Um, speaking of uh, mm-hmm. the most winning team in baseball, the Yankees uh, were coming up on the awards season and. Patrick Adams, who I have long been a fan of in the television show Suits, mm-hmm. um, uh, I think knocks it out of the park in here. Uh-huh. I wonder if we're going to see him in the awards ceremonies uh, uh, coming up in a couple of months. So that's, uh, that's a very – who do you give awards to? And it's got to mm-hmm. be very confusing backstage with two Jessies. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But there are so many good roles in this play. Yeah. Uh, and it, so there, the possibilities are endless as far as nominations. It, 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 you know, after seeing this, I think to myself, my God, it seems so obvious. Why didn't somebody do this earlier? Uh, you know, how did it take so long, aside from the pandemic, to go from 2002, where it was on Broadway, to 2020 and now 22? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I think that this would tour really well. I'm surprised that it doesn't play more often in the regions. And it's just it has been extended by two weeks, and that's good. You know, so uh, I think it's going to win awards and be much mm-hmm. longer extended. Although I'm not sure that they can hold on to well, the stars the and the theater for that matter. Oh, in the I theater, mean, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, uh, second stage keeps on pushing back between Riverside and Crazy. Uh-huh. So, uh, <laughs> you know, they they will not commit to a date for Between Riverside and Crazy. And uh, Stephen Adley Gerges had mentioned that on Twitter yesterday, oh, yesterday really? or the day before. I and see. so maybe uh, we'll have to yeah. see what happens with Take yeah. Me Out here. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I don't know if they can hold on to Jesse Williams. He's uh, very much mm-hmm. in demand. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's also a little bit of scandal around Jesse Williams. But uh, – I don't, I don't want to get into it here. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so we shouldn't. Yeah. So uh, my last thing is about the phones and the phone pouches. Yep. Uh, in my in in my show, somebody left their phone on. We were repeatedly asked to turn our phones Whoa. off before. And Whoa. somebody left their phone on, and it rang, and it rang, and it rang, oh, and it, at the worst possible of, moment. Oh, I never no. thought about that as a complication. That's right. And wow. they told us like five or six times uh, to to the point of being annoying that is your phone off. And they checked my phone. They checked my wife's phone to make sure it was off. And somebody in the front row, wow. it was ringing wow. at the at the very, very worst part of oh, the show that it could oh, ring. No. Wow. And it wouldn't stop. And I thought Jesse Tyler Ferguson was going to stop. Uh-huh. I, 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 could, I could see a vein on his <laughs> wow. forehead popping out. Wow. <laughs> It was just uh, oh, that's so, so sad. Wow, that never occurred to me, but what a complication, yeah. Well, when we were going in, I mean, they just very quickly said, "Turn your fo- make sure your phone is yeah. off, but they only said it once, and then they put it in the pouch. So I guess, uh, I mean... They, you know, they could look to see if you turned it off, but it's not always obvious if it's actually off. And so I, I suppose that unfortunately it might happen again. Or they're going to be much more diligent as a result of that. That yeah. could be too. Yeah, yeah. that's going to be something. So mm. that is take me out three thumbs up, six thumbs up for us, 20 <laughs> thumbs up. Uh, go see it if you can. It's been extended through June 11th. It's wonderful. Uh, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. So, Peter, you got over to, I can't say the York Theater, because you didn't get over to the York Theater. You got over to the <laughs> Theater at St. Jean's at 76th Street and Lexington Avenue to see a York Theater Company production of Penelope, or How the Odyssey Was Really Written. Uh, so tell us about this. Uh, yes, um, the York Theater, unfortunately, um, was decimated by a flood, um, which really is so sad for a company that did 
a musical as in Mufti two by two, which deals with the flood and even got <laughs> Jason Alexander to be in it, you know, but so they've been at the theater of St. Jean's for a little while now, and uh, they did cheek to cheek earlier in the season. And here comes um, a new musical uh, Penelope or how the Odyssey was really written. Um, and it has a very nice premise in the fact that um, there is a reason to believe uh, that a woman actually wrote uh, the Odyssey. And so Peter Kellogg has decided to really make this um, the premise of his show that because Odyssey is, uh, I'm sorry, because Odysseus is away, the Penelope has been writing letters ostensibly from him, but she's been writing the letters. She doesn't want people to know that um, that he's missing in action, so to speak. And so um, she wants to fend off suitors who feel that, no, the guy's dead. Come on. Um, I, I want to be um, your uh, husband translation. I want to rise up in the world and be part of royalty. And um, and that's what their real motivation is. And so she has a bunch of suitors. Um, most of them are clad in white, but one of them is clad in black. So we'll know that he's really the villain. <laughs> and, um, and he is the villain. And um, well, anyway, all this is fine. And in the second act, it really comes to grips with it. Uh, the fact that um, that uh, a lot of issues about um, femininity and um, feminism and um, equal rights and all that. And while some may feel this a little strident, frankly, I wish that it had been clear from the beginning that this is what was on Peter Kellogg's mind. All right. Um, However, let me say this. Um, most people in the world groan when puns are delivered. I don't. I think puns are clever, but I'm not saying there are puns in this. No, that's not my point, um, even though it seems it. No, what I what I what makes me groan are anachronisms. And um, there are quite a few in this show. Um, at one point, uh, Penelope sings about having deja vu. Well, considering this is a French expression and we're in ancient Greece, where does this expression come from? Later, somebody mentions the word saint. Well, this is pre um, a religion where you have saints. So, so things like that drive me crazy. And so I wish that Peter Kellogg, who is astonishingly clever, as was proved by def desperate measures, that he hadn't gone for anachronisms. Um, but again, if you're the type of person who finds anachronisms funny, you're going to find a lot of what goes on in Penelope quite funny. Um, very nice production. Very nice production indeed by Emily Maltby. Um, she staged it and staged it very, very uh, well. And I do admire so many people in the cast. Uh, Penelope is played by Brittany Nicole Simpson, who, uh, you know, I mean, so many times people will say um, she looks like blah, blah, blah. And the other person says, no, she doesn't. And you may feel this way if you go that. Um, but she reminded me a great deal of Cheetah Rivera. And uh, that's meant as a compliment. So what else could it be? I think there's a real discovery here, though, and that's Mar Maria Wearies, uh, who plays Daphne, who's um, in charge of the pigs, literally. Um, the actors play pigs. Um, and uh, so she is really a fine. She's delightful. She's pretty. She's got assurance. Um, she uh, she doesn't overwhelm you in the worst sense of what that means. She's not strident. She's not pushing to deliver a great performance. She's just being good. She reminded me of uh, that wonderful performance delivered by Justin Cooley uh, in Kimberly Akimbo. Um, just being a, a natural person. As I always say, the best acting is acting that doesn't seem like acting at all. And that's what she's giving us. And so um, I think she really is quite a fine. Now, the other thing, too, is that I said the second act is better. And how often do you hear that in about a musical? But um, one of the reasons is because Ben uh, Jacoby comes in as Odysseus. He, he returns home and he is a wonderful performer as well. Really, really good. And um, he really brings down the um, spoofiness of the first act in which there is plenty, believe me. So uh, a, a shout out too, of course, to Stephen uh, Wiener, who uh, did the uh, music. He's um, a guy who really knows how to deliver a melody. And there are plenty of nice melodies here. You may be reminded of the music man in the sense that the four suitors do seem like the barbershop quartet. That's not a criticism. It's just an observation. But anyway, um, Penelope um, drove me crazy with the anachronisms. But if it weren't for that, I think I would have had a much better time. And um, but I admire 
the idea of taking, I always admire the idea of looking at a classic and uh, reimagining it. And of course, here I am with the Merchant of Venice doing the same thing. So I'm not going to be critical of um, that and saying, oh, does uh, Peter Kellogg think he's better than Homer when uh, suddenly I'm essentially inviting people to say, oh, does Felicia think he's better than Shakespeare? So as a result, um, I, I hope that everybody goes and has a good time and um, I, I wish it well. But I wouldn't mind a little rewrite and having those anachronisms taken out of the lyrics. That's interesting. I, I can see what you mean about saint. But as far as deja vu, I mean, one could also say, well, they wouldn't be speaking English. <laughs> right. <laughs> so why not? Why not speak French? If they well, can <laughs> well, there is a difference there in the sense that, uh, you know, we have to allow for English for an English understanding audience. Um, it, it wouldn't be much fun if we were in ancient Greece. Um, I guess you could have super titles. But no, my point is, it's an expression that did not exist back then as an expression. I'm not saying that the Greeks didn't experience what oh. we know to be deja vu. Oh, of course I see. they did. But yeah. the term deja vu is a French term. And uh, was France in existence um, that they would know about this in ancient Greece? I may be overanalyzing this, I'll grant you. But um, nevertheless, this is the type of thing that irks me. And um, and if it doesn't irk you, that's great. That's great. Oh, I'm no, not asking I, to oh, be irked. Oh, no. Anachronisms <laughs> irk me a lot. I just, Do they? <laughs> I just not, don't agree on that particular one. OK, fine. <laughs> you know what irks me? What? what? We don't get enough of Brian Stokes Mitchell. Yes, uh, indeed. But that's but, what we, you know, we only had one <laughs> night only in all of 2022 that we could have seen Brian Stokes Mitchell on stage. And luckily, Michael Portantier was there at <laughs> Town Hall to see Seth Rudesky's Broadway starring Brian Stokes Mitchell. Uh, so tell us, how, are, how is Stokes these days? Oh, he's great. And everyone who was present that night got a lot of him. These are wonderful shows that Seth does regularly at the town hall where he literally sits uh, on stage with the celebrity and talks. And then every five or 10 minutes or so, um, Seth moves to the piano and the and the star gets up and sings. Uh, and they've been wonderful, wonderful people um, who've done this already and will in the future. Uh, James and I mentioned that Jeremy Jordan did a great night with Seth. Uh, and Stokes, yes, because we don't see and hear him that often, uh, this seemed like an extra special evening. I wonder why, um, you know, I wonder why we don't see and hear him more often. Uh, if, uh, you know, I always thought it was such a disappointment that uh, Shuffle Along uh, yeah. had such a, uh, a foreshortened run. And we probably shouldn't get into that because I still don't understand it. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, but, there was a big lawsuit about Shuffle Along uh, mm, with Audra yeah. and yeah. and the producers yes. and, mm -hmm. and everything like that, that I, I'm not sure it's exactly been resolved yet. I, I, I just read something recently that... Audra's suit with Shuffle Along is still really in the, in the courts. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean to 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 recap very briefly uh, from the beginning uh, of of that show, it had been announced that Audra would be taking a, I think initially a three month hiatus uh, to go and do uh, Lady Lady Day at Emerson's or, or what was what was the title of that show? The Lady Day Lady Show. Day's, Lady Day at Emerson's Bar and Grill. Oh, that is, I was right. Okay. To do it in London. And I thought, well, that's odd that she's going to leave for three months, uh, not not long after the opening. But then, of course, she got pregnant. And then uh, Scott Rudin used that as a, as a reason to close the show entirely. And I still don't get it. But anyway, uh, Stokes was great in that. And so was Billy Porter, and so was Audra, and so was everyone else. Um, so maybe if that had not uh, closed so quickly, um, maybe that would have, uh, I don't know, to, to revived Stokes' career more. But also, I, I imagine he he could work more if he wants to. He no, he, I, th I, I think that Stokes is, is has been so much working on 
uh, the Actors Fund. You know, he's ah, he's he's yeah, so yeah, he's so involved in the Actors Fund. Yes, and also he does a lot of uh, concert and symphony work that he, doesn't he does have a lot to, of. Yes. he doesn't have to dedicate years of his life to a Broadway production. And I think this is the path that he's chosen: is that he wants to you know work on the Actors Fund and, and work in in concert and symphony. Yes, thank you for saying that. And and we uh, we are told that concert and symphony work is is very remunerative remunerative it's it's very lucrative yes. if very you don't have the means i highly recommend it <laughs> and yes and as far as your comment on the actors fund that is very true and and actually during this evening at town hall uh stokes spoke very movingly about the actors fund and especially about their uh their efforts during the pandemic uh and then of course he um, he recounted the the whole story of how he uh became known for singing out out his window <laughs> yeah. uh, to the crowds uh during the pandemic yeah, right. um uh and that was really great to hear the whole story from his from his mouth uh so that that was it was a wonderful wonderful evening he sang just about everything you would want and expect him to sing he did sing the impossible dream he did sing wheels of a dream <laughs> mm-hmm. um he sang stars from les mis mm-hmm. uh, and that was great um he uh, sang feeling good from mm. roar of the grease pain and he talked about that song and about how he initially didn't like it because he didn't really understand it and then really came to love it and he also mentioned um i think he mentioned that it has been used uh, frequently for commercials, oh, as it but ever. he didn't mention that it's currently being used because uh, I saw it just very recently uh, for some commercial, although I can't remember what the product was, to be honest. Um, so that keeps coming back as a, as a song that's, that's used for commercial purposes. And I think that's wonderful. And it must've earned tremendous amounts of money uh, for the authors. Didn't, didn't you have a quote about that? Peter? Yeah, indeed. Um, in fact, um, at the time when Roar of the Grease Paint was produced in 1965, there was a big hit song called Who Can I Turn To? Right. And as well as almost every variety show, and there were plenty in those days, used to open uh, during that spring with A, a Wonderful Day Like Today, uh, which also was uh, a song that was heard so many times there was a big hit song the joker Mm -hmm. uh done by um sergio mendez who was very popular at the time so uh, and feeling good was really in the background i will admit that lena horn did record it uh on the other side of the title song of pleasures and palaces a show that closed uh in detroit but united artist records had the um cast album rights and so they had uh, lena horn was recording for united artists at that time and did it but RCA was doing the cast album of Roar of the Grease Pain, so she didn't have to do Feeling Good. Um, uh, It wasn't like the company was saying, listen, we want you to promote the cast album. No, she just did it, obviously, because she liked the song. But that song was really in the background of the show. And in Mm. fact, if you listen to the overture, which is one of the great overtures of all time, you won't hear that song. So it was really um, almost an afterthought. It was sung by a character who sang one song and got off and uh, wasn't to be seen again. And yet, look at how it has stayed in the public consciousness, but mostly because of commercials, right? right. Because, of course, feeling good is something uh, that, of course, commercial people want you to uh, feel uh, from their product. So it does. It makes perfect sense. And um, here it is (laughs) more than a half century later, still getting uh, airings. And that's pretty impressive. Right. But I may be misremembering. Didn't you say that either uh, Anthony Newley or Leslie Brickus commented to you? Didn't you ask one of them about it? Yes, indeed. And yeah. uh, they were they were more uh, both, in fact, um, and they were more surprised than anybody else that it's had this <laughs> afterlife. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I thought I remembered that. It's both. it's a terrific song. Terrific. Mm-hmm. song. Oh, it is in context or out. Really? Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, so it was a wonderful program of singing aside from all of the wonderful stories that Stokes told during this evening at town hall. Uh, Seth really drew him out and we got to learn a lot about him. And then he told um, a story I had never heard before. I find this so fascinating. He had been offered to create, well, to originate the role of sport and life in Porgy and Bess in the first Metropolitan Opera production of that great 
masterwork back in 1985. Uh, and he said he auditioned on the stage of the Metropolitan Opera uh, in front of James Levine, and he was offered the role. And he turned it down because that was uh, unfortunately exactly the same time that he was offered uh, OK on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, hindsight is 2020. Uh, if he had known maybe that OK would have such a short run, uh, he might have made a very different decision. But c- can you imagine? I mean, he, he would have um, not only would he have been singing at the Met, but in that really great role that has two iconic songs to it, at least. Uh, so it's funny how, uh, you know, careers go and, and how timing works and, and we can never predict the future. <laughs> so this is uh, a one night only thing, as we had mentioned. Yeah. Uh, Michael, any uh, cameras out there that you could see? Anybody recording anything? Oh, I didn't. I didn't look. Sorry, Michael. You failed us here. (laughs) With everything these days, uh, I always check to see, especially on one night only things, if something's going to be recorded. Because uh, um, I don't know if if either one of you had a chance to uh, check out the 2022 version of Miscast. Uh, Oh no. No, so that looks like that was really good. And typically, miscast you can see it on YouTube, you know, later in the month or something like that. But they have now recorded it for a paid thing in May, so you're able to see miscast through paid uh, uh, through the MCC website. They're selling thirty dollars tickets to view miscast streaming in May. Uh, versus the thousand dollar tickets to go see Miss Cast in person, mm-hmm. um, and I guess that uh, I don't know if they're going to release it t- into the normal channels, into like YouTube and the various Broadway websites and things like that. After that, but uh, uh, it seems like everybody's recording these things these days. Yes. So um, in the news, mm-hmm. uh, COVID doesn't seem to be done with Broadway. No. So. No. Um, no. We have lots of uh, things. Uh, Suffs, which was opening up down at the public theater, uh, canceled their opening night performance, although it officially opened without a performance. Uh, and reviews came out uh, calling it something to see. Everybody's talking about a Broadway transfer, and uh, it's the next Hamilton. So uh, we'll have to see what happens with Suffs, but they're having a problem at Macbeth. Uh, the Daniel Craig mm. production has been canceled. Paradise uh, Square has been mm-hmm. canceled. Well, uh, some performances. Uh, yes. Well, I'm saying some performances of all these things. Not right. the, These yeah. things are not closing. Right. Yeah. One of the cast was out of, of Take Me Out yesterday, uh, not one of the major roles. And I don't know that it was COVID, but just mm-hmm. for what mm-hmm. that, whatever that's worth. Yeah. And so, uh, like Macbeth has cut, is shut down uh, uh, much of this week. I think it's been reopened now. Uh, Paradise Theater is supposed to be closed in, until Tuesday. See what happens. Suffs, uh, I just got to confirm that. Uh, uh, I'm scheduled for next week, so they, I assume they're, they're going to be open. But uh, the Broadway League has kept the mask uh, and vaccine requirements mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. remain in place through at least April, and then they're going to reevaluate it again. Mm-hmm. Other, thi- other things in the news is that uh, K-pop is coming to Circle in the Square. Mm-hmm. Did you guys see K-pop off Broadway? I don't recall. Uh huh. I did. Yeah, it was I did um, at um, ART. Um, uh, New York uh, on 53rd, 53rd maybe and mm-hmm. 10th Avenue. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but it's going to be very different. It has to be very different because uh, that was almost like um, going from <laughs> uh, room to room. Uh, I'm thinking of the game clue, you know, going from the conservatory to the whatever. So, um, so uh, it's going to be very different and um, I, it's going to be fascinating to see exactly what they're doing. Um, because, it's not going to resemble what it was. And that's not a criticism. It's just going to be very different. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with it. It's uh, qu- quite the creative team and, and Circle in the Square from, I did not see it, but I spoke with Matt Temanini and a few other folks who did see it when it was at ART. And they feel as though that Circle's a good venue for it because they're going to be able to transform the space to mm. this sort of walk-through type of performance. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah. Um, 
and they've gotten who are very, very large K-pop stars around the world to come in to do this production. So I think that this will be a very difficult ticket to get uh, once we start getting closer to dates. Uh, so they announced the, the Broadway company, and it's going to be very, very uh, interesting to see if this K-pop audience, uh, the K-pop genre around the world, mm-hmm. K-pop mm-hmm. style music takes to mm-hmm. the K-pop Broadway production, mm-hmm. but with these uh, these big stars coming in from the K-pop universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I imagine it will. Yeah. It will be interesting to see because it didn't happen with Margaritaville, right? Oh, no, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's it, it, people have assumed all along, you know, this is going to be the thing that brings country music to Broadway, or this is going to be the right. thing yeah, that, right. that brings, you know, yeah. Holler If You Hear Me was going to be yeah, the big right. thing that bring, bad, bring bro- rap to Broadway. And yeah. It, yeah. it had to be Hamilton, which was <laughs> much less of the rap genre and more in the musical theater genre mm-hmm. with a rap tinge to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, did Peter? Did you see Suffs? I was supposed to go Friday night. <laughs> ah, so you got canceled. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and then uh, uh, none of the three of us are much for watching TV, but they <laughs> had the uh, the Grammys had a Sondheim tribute on. Yeah, uh, nice. Cynthia Revo, Leslie Odom Jr., Ben Platt, and Regis Zegler uh, performed Sometime Melodies uh, from Merrily and Westside as part of the In Memoriam segment on the Grammys, which was really wonderful. I so. thought it was just beautiful. I, I, I really, people always say that, you know, it made them cry. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, sometimes I, I roll my yeah, eyes. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. really, this <laughs> it made me cry. It did. Uh. It was, uh, the, first of all, the songs they chose were so beautiful, but also, I, has anyone um, researched who did the arrangements? Oh, they were so beautiful. And I thought Ben Platt sang uh, Not a Day Goes By just gorgeously. And everyone else, uh, it, it just, it was really transcendent. Let me see if I can find it quickly. I'll say Alex Lacamoire. You know? Oh, really? <laughs> no. <Wow. laughs> I would, excuse me. If I, if I had to guess, I would say Alex Lacamoire. But, um, That's a good guess. Yeah. Um, well, I don't mean to, you know, but uh, <laughs> it, whoever it was did a really, really excellent job of arranging it. And, and the people they chose to sing were well, very well chosen. And it just was uh, an amazing moment, I thought. So we also had uh, so much other news. We had, uh, of course, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, Matthew Broderick came down mm, with COVID, mm. and uh, Plaza Suite has, mm. uh, was canceled uh, for a little bit. Um, I don't know if we have Let's a return date. A little bit, yeah. Um, and then we have uh, something that's not related to Broadway, but I thought was interesting maybe to get a comment to two out of this Um Will Smith uh, slapped Chris Rock at the at the Did Academy he? Awards. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you didn't hear about it. Okay? He hadn't heard. No, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And uh, the Academy has decided to uh, ban Will Smith for ten years mm. from the from the Academy. Uh, anything involving the Academy, including the Oscar telecast and things like that. And I wonder if anybody on Broadway will do this to <laughs> terrible repeat offenders like Scott Rudin. Mm. Mm, yeah. I, I wonder, you know, we've had a handful of really terrible people who have been uh, lauded through the Tony Awards over mm-hmm. the years. Yeah. And I wonder if uh, the Tony Awards will ever grow a backbone. Mm-hmm. So uh, those are... Oh, you meant about banning people. I thought you yeah. meant whether anyone's going to get up out of the audience and slap them on stage during the Tony Awards. No, I think that Patty would prevent that. And then uh, on the and the good uh, on the good side, we've talked repeatedly about uh, about um, understudies and standbys in company. And Nikki Bernay Daniels got to uh, got to lead company on Broadway, and mm-hmm. that's all very very exciting stuff that we've mm-hmm. seen. So mm-hmm. as much as uh, as much as this season has not gone the way that we thought it was going to go, sure. Uh, it's been a it's been a unpredictable a at the very <laughs> at the very least. And the Tony Awards have announced their calendar, and it seems like everything is on. They're full steam ahead. So um, 
And then finally, and the last thing I wanted to mention in the news was that the uh, Kinky Boots returned oh, yeah. to Off-Broadway. Oh, yeah, that's something. Uh, and, you know, we saw this with Jersey Boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't think of any and other Rent, major Rent, product. Rent, Rent, that's Rent right. Rented it, yeah, Rent it. Rented it. Uh, Avenue Q, of course. Yeah. Right. That's... Uh, yeah, that, that ran a long so, time there. Yeah, so mm. so Kinky Boots coming back to Off Broadway, and I think that it's a much different show in a small house. So I'm excited to go see. Me this. too. Me too. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Rob Johnston brings up Rock of Ages, of course. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Hey Rob, did you ever get to see that Rock of Ages? I'm not sure you did. So <laughs> I joke because Rob has seen it. Oh yeah, hundred and forty-seven <laughs> times or so. Wow. Rob, give me a number. Hundred ninety-seven times. Thank you. <laughs> did he work for theater? Yeah. Oh, Alan Teasley brings up in the chat room. I haven't looked at the chat much. Jesse Tyler Ferguson might slap an audience member if their phone rings. Yeah, right. So. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So. Mm. <laughs> All right, so that wraps it up for this week. Before we get on to uh, the musical moment and trivia, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayvideo.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to Apple, us in Apple Podcasts. You can listen to us many ways. iHeartRadio plays us. TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play. Anywhere that you can listen to find our podcast, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. If you would like a transcript of this or any episode on Broadway Radio, please email transcripts at broadwayradio.com and include the episode name, and we'll send you back a transcript. So, Peter, do we have an answer to last week's trivia? He wrote the score for a Tony-winning musical, but he didn't win Best Score for good reason. Ironically, this composer-lyricist's name can almost be found in the names of two of the show's characters. The composer-lyricist's first name was the surname of one character. His last name includes the first name of another character. Who is he? Who are they? What's the show? Sherman Edwards wrote the score to 1776, which won the Tony for Best Musical in 1969, one of the few years where there wasn't a Best Score award. The composer and or lyricist just got a Tony for being part of Best Musical. And believe me, um, I will maintain to my dying day, Sherman Edwards wouldn't have won anyway. Burt Backrack and Hal David would have won for um, mm. Promises, Promises. Really too bad that they got um, shafted out of that award. Anyway, 1776 included among its characters Roger Sherman, delegate from Connecticut, and Edward Rutledge, delegate from South Carolina. Okay, Paul Whitty, after two weeks absence, vaulted back into first place, followed by Steve Bell, Brigadude. Mike Meany, Juliet Green, Tony Janicki. Remember him? Yeah. He used to be so good at this. Well, we all lose our charms in the end. <laughs> Juliet Green, Ingrid Gammerman, Isaac Blevins, and Josh Israel. This week's question, a much-anticipated musical that was open to Broadway on, in the 1990s didn't turn out to be the hit that everyone expected. Considering its spectacular failure, shortening the show's five-word official title, official title, mind you, shortening it to three words would result in an inadvertent comment on its fate. What's the musical's official title and the abbreviated one that would comment on its fate? All right. If you have an answer for us, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Well, we wanted to uh, use our musical moments today to commemorate two deaths uh, that recently happened. Uh, So our opening music uh, was Shoeless Joe from Hannibal Moe from Damn Yankees, sung by, led by Ray Allen. R.A.E. Allen, mm, mm, who just died at 95. Mm. And she had a really solid career in the theater and in TV and film. Uh, people who don't know her from Damn Yankees uh, might know her from Seinfeld or The Sopranos. She was on both of those shows. And uh, she won a Tony, a featured actress Tony in 1971 
for and Miss Reardon drinks a little. Uh, and I that, of course, the 71 Tonys was that famous, famous year uh, mm. when Alex Cohen was producing and he got uh, everyone from the past to come and celebrate the 25th anniversary of the awards and the talent on stage, people recreating their original songs from musicals was just beyond belief. And so I have a, a, a DVD of that telecast that I haven't looked at in a while, but I did watch it again. And, and I got to see Ray Allen's acceptance speech, which was really lovely. And one of the m- most wonderful things about it is that she had been in the ensemble really of the pajama game. And not long before uh, she got up to accept her award, John Raitt uh, had gotten up to sing Hey There mm-hmm. <laughs> from Pajama Game in, in this wonderful 25th anniversary uh, event. So uh, so she referred to that when she got up and, and it was really heartwarming that she did. Uh, Ray is one of the few people um, from the original cast of pajama game who did not repeat her role in the movie. I, they brought someone else in from a, some Hollywood type, I think. Uh, but she certainly did get to repeat her role in the film of damn Yankees. And so you can listen to her uh, sing shoeless Joe from Hannibal Mo on both the original Broadway cast album and the film soundtrack. Uh, and then of course you can always uh, rent the movie and watch her. She really was terrific. Um, she had so much energy. She had a great voice and, and uh, it turns out she was an Italian American. <laughs> so <laughs> I was, I was happy to find that out. Um, that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and our closing musical moment features Bobby Rydell, uh, who mm. recently died at 79, uh, only 79. He was so young. <laughs> I know. I, I would have thought he was in his 80s at least. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. He was really a baby when he mm. when he started, um, when he became famous in the early 60s, I guess. And uh, as, as I've said on a previous podcast, he um, somehow became a in a way, a musical theater icon, even though he had very little musical theater <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> in in his uh, resume, because for two reasons, uh, he did play the role of Hugo Peabody in the film version of Bye Bye Birdie. Uh, and that role was greatly expanded from the show of Bye Bye Birdie uh, when Bobby Rydell was signed for the role because he was already uh, you know, had great notoriety as a sort of a teen idol. And so they expanded it in terms of the lines, but also the singing in the show, Hugo doesn't sing a note. That's right. Uh, uh, not a note. Uh, mm-hmm. But in, in the film, he sings a little, a little bit in the telephone hour. And then also he sings one boy uh, as a duet with Anne Margaret. And then he has a wonderful little showcase in a lot of living to do. Um, so our musical moment is not from uh, the soundtrack. Oh, and, oh I, I almost forgot. The other reason that Bobby mm-hmm. Rydell is a musical theater icon is because he lent his name to Rydell High School mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. from Greece. <laughs> so uh, I always thought that was so great that, that mm-hmm. they picked Me him too. for that. Me it's too. just so, so sweet and so perfect, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, our, our musical moment uh, is not from the soundtrack of Bye Bye Birdie, but uh, apparently around that time, uh, Bobby recorded several songs from the show, uh, you know, as a studio album. And uh, the one I chose was A Lot of Living to Do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can hear uh, like a, a fuller version of that in his performance here. He really, he, uh, I got to meet him in 2016. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll send the photo for inclusion mm-hmm. in the show notes. I went, uh, there was a, uh, a release party for his autobiography. And it was at that Patsy's restaurant in the yeah, West yeah. 50s, uh-huh. yeah. yeah, which I guess is a sort of an old Rat Pack kind of a place. So that was a perfect. It was an amazing night. Uh, Paul Schaefer was there, Tony Danza, Pat Cooper, Danny Aiello. I'll never forget it. And I went with Giuseppe Bozilio, our friend who's currently uh-huh. in Hamilton, and, yeah. and all those uh, old Italian guys really took to him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget... Um, uh, it was also Bobby's birthday, in addition to celebrating the release of his auto bio. So uh, Giuseppe brought him um, a box of chocolates, and he was just so charmed by that. 
<laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I took a picture of them together and, and I'll send that. But he, he really he really seemed to be a nice guy. He had a lot of adversity uh, in his later years. He overcame um, alcoholism. And at one point, he had both a liver and a kidney transplant. Wow. I think mm. at the same time. I mean, maybe wow. not in the exact same session. but wow. uh, And then went on to perform for years after that. I saw him not that long ago uh, performing at the uh, Damrush Park at Lincoln Center. Hmm. So yeah, and he had a um, he had a, a teen idol thing that he did with his fellow uh, yeah. former teen idols Frankie Avalon and Fabian mm-hmm. Fabian Forte. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, yeah, so rest in peace, Robbie Ride, Bobby Rydell. I think a lot of people really have a lot of affection for him, if only for the movie of Bye Bye Birdie, he, in which he's absolutely charming. Uh, and uh, very, I'm really glad he was cast in that. All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radios this week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. To kiss me, you Now all those chicks don't know what they're missing. I've got a lot of living to do. And there's wine already for tasting And there's a Cadillac's all shiny and new Now I've got to move Cause time is wasting Yeah, there's such a lot of living to do Now there is music to play Places to go and people to see waiting for you and I you're alive so come on and show it it has such a lot of living to do It's all just waiting for